Any disciples in the house this morning? Say, oh yeah. All right, so go back to that song one more time. All right, now, he pumped me up, so I'm feeling good. All right, are you feeling good? I'm feeling good. Now, if you're not a disciple this morning, um, this, um, the lesson that we're about to go through, I just got to tell you, it's, it's not necessarily for you. If you are not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, um, this lesson isn't necessarily for you in that some of the things that we're going to discuss and talk about might seem a little odd, might seem a little out of place, all right? But I want you to just keep listening because I think by the end you'll figure it out, all right? But if you are a disciple this morning, and if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then I want you to know that this message, don't be looking around at your neighbor, this one's for you, buddy, all right? Don't be saying, you know, I wish that Sister Sarah could have been here. No, 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 no. That was not for her. It's for you. Okay? It's for, it's for you if you're a disciple and you feel good. Back to that song one more time. Just that last, the very last one. Just go back one slide. There it is, right? Okay? I feel good. Now, I told you last week that in Jamaica, hey, people just sing in Jamaica and they don't care what they sound like, you know? Don't care if it's on key, don't care if they're um, soprano altos, altos, whatever, it doesn't matter. They just sing loud. And so here's what I want you guys to do. We're going to sing this song, just this part right here, and I want you to see how loud you can sing about feeling good. Because here's kind of what I picked up on. We were all disciples. You just said, hey, how many disciples are in the room? And you were like, oh yeah. And we sang this song, I feel good, good, good. Well, I feel good. Oh, really? That had nothing to do with Derek. I mean, he, he, had, the, he had the emotion going, all right? But I, I didn't hear the volume. I didn't feel it, all right? I, I want to I feel the volume, all right? I want to feel the volume to where you feel so good to be a disciple that you're going to be singing, I feel good, good, good. I mean, it's going to be loud, all right? Are you ready? How many disciples in the room? Oh, yeah? Well, I feel good, good, good. Well, I feel good. Oh, yes, my Lord, because it's unjust enough. Jesus makes me feel good, 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 good. Well, I feel good, good, good. Well, I feel good. Oh, yes, my Lord, because it's unjust enough. Jesus makes me not a sin to praise God with a loud voice. All right, can I get an amen on that? Hey, it is not a sin to praise God with a little excitement, with a little oomph in you, all right, because you feel good. It's a great thing because you have a life that is being lived on mission. You have a life that's being lived on the mission of God. We started this all the way back in January where we started talking about this idea that there is a walk that every Christian goes on. There's a walk that every Christian goes on because the Christian, the disciple, the follower of Jesus has been called out of darkness, Scripture says, into the light of God. And so because of that, we are then told, live as children of light. Live as children of light and find out what pleases the Lord. And so off we go on this incredible journey. 
Off we go on this walk, learning what it means to follow after Jesus, learning what it means to live as Christ would live. And we get the bracelets, WWJD, and, and we're feeling good. And we put the little fish picture on the back of our cars. And we were trying to figure this whole thing out. What does it mean to live like Jesus? What does it mean to live on mission? What does it mean to walk as Jesus walked? Talk as Jesus talked? What is all of that? What is it truly about? So here's what we're going to do. For the next couple of weeks, we're going to focus specifically on the mission that I'm afraid for a lot of us we have neglected. Maybe you didn't know about it. Maybe you didn't know. And if you didn't, then that's going to be a good thing. You're going to figure it out as we go through this. Or maybe you have heard about this mission. Maybe you've heard about this responsibility. But it's not something that you have, it's not something you've really grasped onto. It's not something that you have accepted whole, wholeheartedly. And so I hope as we go through this, you're going to maybe discover something new or you're going to be reminded of something old and you are going to be reinvigorated in your life as you walk and follow Jesus Christ to live out the very mission of God. Now, at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, he calls his disciples together and he says, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. He says, because of this, he says, now I'm going to pass along, I'm going to give you some authority. I'm, I'm going to give you a responsibility now. And he says, as you walk, make disciples. As you walk, make disciples. And I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I want you to teach them to obey all the things that I've commanded you. And don't worry, because I'm going to be with you even to the end of your life and the life that are to come. Now, you've heard that before if you are a Christian, if you are a disciple. Oftentimes, we refer to that as being the Great Commission. The Great Commission where Jesus looks at his followers and says, I want you, as you go, I want you to be disciple makers. Now, that disciple word has kind of become Christianized. It's one of those words that is totally associated with uh, religion oftentimes. It's totally associated with this idea of, of having some kind of of religious experience, but you need to understand the word simply meant learner or student. It wasn't a religious word. It wasn't a, a church word. Jesus says, I want you, as you go, as you walk, I want you to make learners. That simple. I want you to have people who want to learn how to do life a different way. You go find them. You go find individuals who are living life for themselves. You go find individuals who are, who are living life all wrapped up in this world. And I want you to, to see if they're willing to do life a different way. See, if they are, I want you to, want you to baptize them. Now, that's not something that would have been crazy back in, in that particular time. The idea that all disciples were going to be washed disciples, it's not something that was that was crazy. Water rituals, they always represent a transition from the old world to the new world in the context of, of Noah, from bondage to freedom when you think about Israel, from impurity to purity when you think about the Levitical priesthood and the things that went on there with Levitical laws. Water rituals, cleansing the participants, they prepared them for entrance into something that was new, into something that was dynamic, into something that was free and pure, and they sanctified God's people to be a part of his holy presence. So Jesus says, listen, I want you to go and see 
if there's anybody out there that might like to learn to do life a different way, and if they're willing, I want you to baptize them, give them a new start, and I want you to teach them. And this teaching, understand, was specific. They were to pass along what they had seen and heard. See, the disciple was always supposed to resemble the teacher. Maybe we need to remind ourselves of this. The goal of the disciple was never to know more necessarily about the rabbi. But the goal of the disciple was to be just like the rabbi. See, that's kind of how uh, in religious circles we've kind of got a little backwards. We think a disciple is someone who knows all about the teacher. But the disciple is the one that lives like the teacher. It doesn't matter how much you know if you're still not going around and loving people the way that Jesus loved people doesn't matter how much Bible you have all marked up if you're still going around and playing favorites, showing favoritism. If you're an individual who is, for some reason, likes to classify people in different categories, it doesn't matter how much of your Bible that you know, if you're not living like the rabbi, then you're not a disciple. Romans 8 and verse 29 says, for God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son. So Jesus says, listen, I want you to, as you're walking around, as you're living this life, I want you to find people who are willing to learn a different way to do life. I want you to wash them, and I want you to teach them. Now go. There's your mission. Maybe I should say this from the start. God's church does not have a mission. God's mission has a church. See, this isn't something that the church came up with. It's not something that religious people hiding away in catacombs said, you know what, I got this great idea. Let's go out and let's see if we can get other people to do things our way. Let's see if we can go and get other people to worship like us. Let's go if we can get, see if we can get other people to dress like us. Let's see if we can go and get other people to think like us. That wasn't it. God's mission has a people. And that people, well, it's you if you're a Christian, if you're a disciple, if you're a church. And so life on mission, life on mission is something that we have to reincorporate into our lives and to be able to understand that this is something that is important and it's something that we have to be about. And so let me just give you just a couple of things for you to mull over, for you to think about this morning, all right? Here's the first one. Living life on mission means that you develop significant relationships with people who are far from God. Got to keep it very simple. White background, red letters. Nothing frilly, nothing frou-frou. Don't want you to get lost in all of the, all, all the fuzzy, all right? Just look at the red. Life on mission means that you develop significant relationships with people far from God. Now, open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. Go ahead and turn your Bible, Acts chapter 16. And as you're doing that, I want to start by asking you just a few questions. Because I want you to think about how influence works in your life. How many of you guys, you've gone to the mailbox and you've opened it up and you've pulled out an envelope. And it it says on front, open immediately. And you open it up and there's someone trying to get you to refinance your house. Have you gotten that before? Right? Good. I... I, (laughs) I thought I was the only one. I mean, I was like, man, somebody really wants me to refinance my house. I'm glad you guys are getting that thing too. Now, how many of you guys have ever, just because of what you got in the mail, said, you know what? I'm going to call this guy and go refinance my house right now. Anybody? Oh, we got one. Oh, that is a trusting soul. Trusting soul right there. Walks by faith, not by sight. Um, 
How about this one? Suppose someone that you've never met walks up to you and says, hey, I know the person that you need to spend the rest of your life with. It's my cousin, and I've set you up on this blind date, and you'll, you'll, you'll have to wait until Friday because that's when he gets out for parole. And then you guys are going to have this great time. Now, how many of you would say, hey, I'm just going to clear my calendar. That's what I want to do. You're not going to go ahead with that, Right? Because when it comes to matters of personal finance, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to our futures, we do not put our hand or put our life in the hands of total strangers. We listen to people that we trust. Because friends influence friends. And if that's true in general, just think about how much more true it even is when it comes to the ultimate issue in life, and that's people's spiritual destiny. You see, if people are going to be reached for Christ, for the most part, it will not be through strangers. They won't be reached by a televangelist. They won't be reached on the radio. They'll be reached primarily through friends, and, and that's the real important pattern here that we're going to see laid out here in the New Testament that I want to remind you of. So look here in Acts chapter 16. Look at verse 14. We're just going to look at a few passages around here. It says, one of those who is listening, Paul is on his walk, all right? Paul's on his walk, and he is going, and he's asking if people want to consider a, a new way of living. He's, he's washing, he's baptizing, and he's teaching. It says, one of those who was listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us into her home if you consider me a believer of the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Now look a little later, Acts chapter 16, this time verse 31. Paul and Silas are now in prison. They had the opportunity to leave, you might remember, because of a supernatural event that took place. But they stayed. And it says the jailer is astounded. And in verse 31 it says, what do I need to do to be saved? And they respond, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. Look at verse 33. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all of his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house. Now, now turn just a page or two over to chapter 18. Look at verse 7. It says, Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of justice. A worshiper of God, Crispus the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard it believed and were baptized. What's going on? Paul's on his walk. He's asking if people want to consider a, a new life, a, a new way of doing life. He's washing, he's baptizing, he's teaching. And then notice the word that keeps popping up. It's household. The gospel keeps spreading here, chapter 16 into chapter 18, through households. Now, it's not the same kind of idea of household that you and I think about whenever we hear the word. We think of mom, dad, and the kids. The word that's used here in the original language had a much broader meaning. And it would include not just those immediate family members, but it would also include extended family. It would include servants. It might also include slaves. See, it would include the people that were connected to each other by family ties, by economic ties, by vocational ties. What in our terminology today, we call networks. All right, so what you find is Paul dealing with these individuals and he's finding out, listen, would you like to have a different way of doing life? 
Would you like to think about things differently? Would you like to go about it and have a different purpose? Would you like to have a different meaning? Would you like to hear about how, how this man Jesus lived his life and how he called others to live in God's kingdom? And those that responded, he said, let me, let, let me wash you. Let me get rid of all this old Gentileness. Let me get, let me get rid of all this Jewishness that's on you. Let me get, get rid of, of all this old life that you've had. And let, let me let you start new. And, and here, I'll, I'll talk to you and I'll teach you about the ways of, of Jesus. And it was the people that worked together. It was the people that played together. They lived together. They did business together. And that's how the gospel spread. The kingdom of God is never spread. And this is important. Listen. The kingdom of God is never spread primarily by preachers speaking to crowds of unconnected strangers. I'd love it if that was the case. But it's house to house. It's person to person. Why do you think, or who do you think mainly listens to Christian radio? Disciples. Who do you think mainly reads Christian books and Christian magazines and watches Christian TV stations? Mostly it's Christians. See, the kingdom spreads now in the same way it spread for 2,000 years. One Christ follower gets so consumed with the love of Christ, they cannot help but go and say, listen, have you heard about how much Jesus loves you? Have you heard about his way of living? Have you heard about his way of thinking? Have you considered the way that Jesus talked about finances? Have you thought about what Jesus had to say about purity in your relationships? Have you considered the teachings of Jesus? You get so excited about it. That all of a sudden it begins to spread network to network throughout the whole household, throughout all the relationships that are being touched. That's how it happened 2,000 years ago. That's how it happened there in the book of Acts. And that's how it continues to go right here to this day. So many of you came to a relationship through Jesus Christ and it was because of someone that you trusted. You have come into a life-changing connectionship with Jesus and it's been because of a husband or a wife, a mother, a father, a grandmother, a grandfather. It's been because of a co-worker, somebody that was on your ball team. Yes, there was a few of you that because of the preacher's great eloquence and oratory, you thought, you know what, that's what I want to do. But for the most part, it's somebody who cared enough about you, who walked into your life. And said, would you consider living a different way? Now, here's the problem. In our day, far too many churches are filled with Christians who spend virtually all their time with other Christians. It's true. We're just not significantly connected to people who are far from God. And in too many situations, we kind of design our life to be that way. I mean, let's be honest. For some of us, we don't want to be around people that are not disciples. We don't. We just want to be surrounded by Christians. But here's, here's another thing of red letters that I want you to pay attention to. You cannot reach people that you're not around. Novel concept, isn't it? Can't do it. You cannot reach out to non-Christians if you are not around non-Christians. You, you, you can't... You, you can't share about the new life of Jesus with people who aren't following Jesus if you're not around those people. But yet, the longer that you are Christian, the more likely it is that you are not going to be around those who are not Christian. Because after seven years, after seven years of living a life of discipleship, the average Christian doesn't have any relationships with people outside their faith. That's what statistics show. Think about you. Scroll through your friends and your family and see if you find it to be true. 
And see, and oftentimes though the church accepts this as being the case, oftentimes we even enable it. We start to enable members to only be with Christians. John Stott, I love this, he calls this rabbit hole Christianity. Maybe you've, maybe you've read some things he's written about this. He says the only time that Christians are around non-Christians in our culture are the times where they pop out of their Christian hole and make one mad dash to some other Christian event. Right? Oh, time to go to Bible study. And you might pass somebody on the way to the church building. Right? Time to go to worship. Time to go to the fellowship meal. Time to go to Martin Boyd. Christians fall into, oftentimes, one of two categories of extremes. One is imitation. That's when you think that every Christian has to look alike. We'll talk about that later. But the other is isolation. We have Christians who become isolationists and say, you know what? I don't want to get polluted by the world. I don't want to get messy. I used to walk in darkness and now I'm, I'm light in the Lord and I don't want to have my light go out. And so I'm going to sing this little Christian light of mine at Bible school. And, and I'm going to volunteer, and I'll teach the kids, and I'll even teach a ladies' Bible class, and, and I'll serve as a deacon, but I am not going to go and get back in that muck and the mire. So I build my wall. I build my wall around my, my little culture. And so we have Christian friends at our job, and we have Christian friends at school, and, and we listen to Christian radio stations, and... We drink out of Christian coffee mugs, and we have Christian lunch boxes, and we get into our Christian car. That's the one that's got the fish on the back, so everybody knows that your, your car is going to heaven with you. And then we'll just be insulated and isolated. And we're not going to let anybody, we don't want anybody to get out there in the world because we don't want to get dirtied by those people who are not disciples. Well, here's the thing. Those people were the ones that Jesus spent all this time with. That's the crazy thing. Now, one more passage of Scripture. Go to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. Here's a story that even if you are not a disciple, you've probably heard about before. Maybe you went to vacation Bible school at one time and you heard somebody singing about the wee little man. I always got offended at that, but that's another story for another time. (laughs) Luke chapter 19. It says, when Jesus came by, he was passing through Jericho, it says at the beginning of the chapter. But verse 5, it says, he came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus, and he called him by name. Zacchaeus had gone, and he's a tax collector, he's a chief tax collector. Apparently he has others that are underneath him. He's got this great business venture going. He has heard Jesus is coming to town. He's heard all of the fuss about him, wants to see what Jesus is like. Can't see because of his stature. Climbs up a tree, trying to get an eyeful. And Jesus walks by and just looks up and says, Hey, Zacchaeus, he says, come down quickly because I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. And they said, he's gone to be a guest of a notorious sinner. And they grumbled. And the word there for grumble, it means that they just sat there and murmured. And they just murmured and they just talked and they gossiped. And they said, can you believe who he's eating with? Can you believe what he's doing? Can you believe where he's at? He went to a naughty person's house. They were probably just happy that Zacchaeus didn't throw a party. 
I mean, the last time we read about Jesus hanging out with a tax collector, he found this guy named Matthew. And Matthew says, hey, why don't you come to my house? And he threw a party. And Matthew invited all of his naughty people friends. And they all came and threw a naughty people party. And guess what? Jesus was at the naughty people party. And all the religious people were standing back going, why is he at the naughty people party? Because Jesus hangs out with naughty people. He does. And notice the response. Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give my, half my wealth to the poor, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Now notice, he was already, Zacchaeus was a Jew. He was, by birth, a part of the people of Israel. Most likely he had been circumcised on the eighth day just as all Hebrew boys were to be. He would have grown up going to their version of VBS. He would have hit all of the Bible classes. His parents would have had him enrolled in all the Torah classes. He would have been memorizing scripture. But he came to a point in time in his life where he decided, you know what? I think there's going to be a better way. And so he goes off and he makes his own choices and decisions. He ends up being this tax collector. And here's what Jesus said about him. After after he makes this great announcement that now, listen, this guy's truly a son of Abraham. He says, the son of man came to seek and to save those who are lost. And oftentimes we look at this and we get a totally, I think, different view than what Jesus wants us to have. You understand here that Zacchaeus was a part of the chosen people of God. And yet he was excluded from this community because of his choice of occupation and the way that he took advantage of his people and the way that he was uh, taking money and stealing and the way that he was living a life that was not honoring God. It was just honoring himself and it was all about himself. And now he's made this decision, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give my money to the poor. I'm not going to cheat people anymore. And Jesus says, now you're a true son of Abraham. Why? Because all of a sudden, Zacchaeus decides that he is no longer going to live for himself. And Jesus said, I've come to seek and save those who are lost. See, Zacchaeus was lost in that he didn't even realize it. He was going in this direction that, that was all about him, and it was all about achievement, and it was all about seeing who he could rip off and what he could uh, enjoy. It was all about heaping more and more pleasure upon himself. And Jesus comes into his life, and Jesus says, we consider living differently. Now, we don't know all the conversation that Jesus had with Zacchaeus. All we know is that after he spent time with Jesus, he said, things are going to be different. And Jesus says, you're a true son now. Notice that we never see anywhere where Jesus says, you know what, Zacchaeus, you need to leave the tax booth. My thinking is that he stayed and he continued collecting taxes for Rome, but he did so in a way that people looked and said, I've never seen a tax collector like that before because he's not taking more than he should. And you know why? Because he found Jesus. Or better yet, Jesus found him. Jesus came to bring God's vision to earth by launching a just kingdom society. And his death ushered in this society, redeeming all people from sin and providing a model of, of how we're supposed to live. With people who don't know Jesus. We're supposed to be living with people who don't know Jesus. People who are living for themselves. People who are consuming everything around them. People who are living only for their own passions. Those are the people that we are supposed to be living around so that they can see a difference in our life. And so that we can say, by the way, would you consider perhaps something different? Can I talk to you about this person named Jesus? 
See, friends, I think we need to reconnect to the mission in order for us ever to be able to connect to the world. Consider this video. You might recognize this guy. His name's Ben Gillette. I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we, uh, we talk to folks and, you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the um, what I call the hover position after I was old on big guy, probably about my age. Big guy. And um, he had been the, um, the guy who has uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so he had the props from that in his hand because we give those away. He had the the joke book and the and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, uh, it's not worth explaining. But he had props in the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night. And he walked over to me and he said, um, I was here last night at the show and uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted, and he was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about you know honesty and stuff he said nice stuff no reason to go into it he said nice stuff and then he said I brought this for you and he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition um, I thought it said from the New Testament but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament right uh, Psalms from the New just part of the New Testament little book about this big this thick you know he said I wrote in the front of it and I wanted you to have this I'm kind of uh, proselytizing and then he said I'm a businessman I'm I'm sane I'm not crazy and he looked me right in the eye and did all of this and uh it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive, and he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice insane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible and I've always said you know that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize I don't respect that at all if you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever and you think that uh, well it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward and atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. 
and I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. But this guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like to show and so on, and then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, how much do you have to hate somebody not to tell them about Jesus? That's coming from someone who, as he said, doesn't believe in their God, does not believe in Scripture. And yet, says, I have no respect for those who are in the religious world that because of fear or because of social, being socially awkward, that they want to at least come and say something about the one that they believe in. He says, I have no respect for that. Guys, as you walk, you have a mission. And that mission is to make learners, to make disciples. To ask people if they would consider a different way of life. To consider what it would be like to trust in Jesus Christ. To follow in his footsteps. You, you have this mission to, to connect. And so we look for like interest. We look for ways in which we can connect with individuals through things that we enjoy doing. And places that we enjoy going. And, and activities that we enjoy participating in. And if you are not a disciple this morning and you're sitting here thinking, well, that sounds like that you have an agenda. We do have an agenda. We have an agenda to create a relationship with you because we love you. And because we love you, we'll talk to you about Jesus. And we would love for you to consider following after him. But we have to be able to make those connections. And we have to be willing to make those connections. And we have to organize our life in a way so that we're not just popping up from one Christian hole and running to another Christian hole. And that we're actually spending time with individuals who are not disciples. Because this idea that I'm just going to go and share my church and not my Jesus is not biblical. That idea that I will pop out of my Christian hole and I'm going to try to get you to leave your Christian hole to come to mine. While everybody around us, there are individuals who are living a life so far away from Jesus Christ, but we're not going to talk to you. But we'll share my church, but not my Lord. It's not what Jesus said. And so we connect and we look for like interest and we want to build relationships with individuals, not so that we can get a notch on our belt, but so that we can express the love of Jesus Christ to somebody else, because that is how we show that we are truly disciples of Jesus. It's by the way that we love one another. It's by the way that we treat others. It's by the way that we serve. Not so that we can get our name up in lights. Not so that something can happen and so that everybody can know what we're doing. But it's because we actually care about other people. And it's because we believe that without Jesus Christ, there is no hope. And then we wash. And we baptize. Let me tell you what I'm looking forward to that I hope happens here within this uh, year. More often than I've seen it happen before. I'm looking forward to the day that you bring your friends and baptize them here. Now, as a preacher, there's nothing better that I do in my job than to be able to baptize somebody into Christ. I love doing that. But you know what? I enjoy more. I enjoy watching you baptize somebody into Christ. Wherever we got this notion that the preacher is the only person that can baptize, we didn't get it from Scripture. 
You're the friend. You're the one that's bringing the person. You're the one that has been talking about what it means to follow after Jesus Christ. You're the one that needs to carry them into the water and to baptize. Because that is the mission that Jesus gave you. Not just the preacher that's standing up delivering the message. And so that's why I've often wondered. There are people that will come and after a lesson sometimes come up to me and say, you know, I really wish you would have um, talked more about uh, salvation or I really wish you would have gone through repentance or confession or baptism or something more because I had a friend with me. And my response is, your responsibility is to tell them. Yeah, it's mine, but it's yours too. For too long, we have let the responsibility of sharing the mission of Jesus Christ rely on the minister or the deacon or the elders, and yet it is each individual's disciple's responsibility to go and to make disciples and to baptize and to teach what it means to follow after Jesus. And so you teach people what it means to follow in his steps. You teach people what it means to turn the other cheek. You teach people what it means to love enemies. You teach people what it means to offer forgiveness even though it seems like there is no way to be able to do that. You teach people what it means to be merciful. You teach people what it means to be holy and pure. All of those commands, all those things that Jesus talked about, you share with those who are your friends. Why? Because you love them. Otherwise, how much do you hate your neighbor? How much do you really hate your coworker? How much do you hate the person that's on your ball team? That you refuse to ask if they would consider the way of Jesus. It's life on mission. It's our responsibility to make relationships with those who are far from God. And we cannot make a relationship with people that we are not around. So, we're going to close and you can leave here and Maybe you need to put on on Facebook that the preacher said that you need to go to naughty people parties. I don't know. But I hope as we close out, I hope you're going to be thinking about the relationships that you have, the people that you are in contact with, how you order your life, how you spend your time, how you, how, how you purpose yourself. Because you're going to come in contact with somebody here a little bit later. And it might be a stranger or it might be somebody that you have known. You're going to see them out at a restaurant or somewhere. And you can talk about all kinds of things. And you can make plans for the week and everything else. But would you just maybe, would you just, maybe just say something about something in a spiritual context? Bring Jesus into it somehow or some way? Maybe if not today, maybe you do it this next week when you're at the office. Maybe you say something at home. Maybe you say something when you go back to school this week. That this is going to be your mission. That you're going to talk to somebody about the way of Jesus Christ. But before you can do that, you've got to reconnect to the mission. And so we're going to sing a song to encourage ourselves to be mission-minded people. To be people that are on mission with God. And maybe you need to come this morning. You say, you know what? I've relied on other people to do the work that I'm supposed to be doing. I have not shared the way that I should have. I have not loved the way that I should have. And I need, I, I want to know that, that God is going to give me another opportunity. And I want the prayers of this congregation to be able to strengthen me. Would you do that this morning? And maybe somebody brought you here today because they were your friend and they loved you and they built a relationship with you and they want you more than anything else to give your life over to Jesus Christ. They want you to be baptized, to have your sins washed away. They want you to learn what it means to follow after Jesus. Would you be willing to come this morning and say, you know what, I want to follow Christ and I want to be baptized for everybody to rejoice with me so that I can 
so that I can go and tell others what it means to be a disciple. Whatever your need might be, we encourage you to come as together we rise and stand and sing.